Okay, just a, a couple of quick uh, scriptures I'll, I'll read. But, and, and the reason I, I'll read them, and you'll have to find out later. <laughs> okay. But anyway, here we have, and, and I'm going to read this in First, uh, first Corinthians uh, chapter 10. <clears throat> and I thank God for the whole, all of Scripture. That's why Paul said in Second uh, Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, as God breathes. Every bit of it, from Genesis to Revelations, <laughs> not just the Pauline epistles. Okay? But anyway, in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, and you can read a lot of the, uh, most of the chapter later if you desire, but in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, it says, Now these things are our examples. And we'll see what they are when we begin to read from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Now these things were our example, or types, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And then verse 11 says, Now all these things happened unto them. And we're going to read about them in the Old Covenant. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, or in other words, really types. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age, it says world in a lot of translations, it's this particular age that we're in, on whom the ends of the age, this particular age, are. And so because of that, in verse 12, wherefore, let him that thinks that he stands take heed. And there's an interesting word there, take heed lest he fall. So we know that all those things, all the things there were written as for God, for us, as his church, to look back on and continue to glean and learn from. So, when we get into, and I'm going to just be uh, sharing from the book of Numbers, not in any particular place, but, well, in what, maybe, maybe in one particular place, but we can see that in Numbers, the 10th chapter, everything that they did, and, and remember, every single thing they did it was the result of the particular sound that a, a trumpet would give. That's how they stayed. That's how they moved. That's how they did everything. And, of course, that trumpet we see in Numbers, the 10th chapter. Uh, the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying in verse 2, Make you two trumpets of silver, of silver. Of a whole piece will you make them, that you may use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. Okay, so there were two trumpets, and they were made out of uh, silver, and silver always speaks, we know, in the Bible of redemption. Two can mean separation in an evil sense or in a good sense. And of course, two there, the two that became one, were a, a silver trumpet that was to keep them going forward and to keep them, of course, in, in the positive sense, continuing to receive and to learn uh, from, from what God would teach them. So we get to the book of Numbers. Now in Numbers, the book of Numbers is brought out very beautifully that we can look back as a church and see how what happened to them on a, in a physical sense, and still learning for them, too, in a spiritual. But for us, a very spiritual sense that there's always going to be conflict. Okay? Conflict. Now, 
And then, but the thing about the conflict for us in Christ, the thing about conflict is when it's in Christ, there's always going to be progress. So those are two things that we constantly, uh, you know, experience, conflict and progress. And so what we see in the book of Numbers there is that the path of progress that it's talking about is through the world. Because remember, uh, Israel was delivered from the land of Egypt. Okay, Egypt speaks of that world system in control. Pharaoh is a type and speaks of, of Satan and how he would operate to keep the children of God in bondage. Keep them prisoner and to keep them in bondage. Then he raises up Moses, who in the work that God gave him to do, in the work that God sent him to do, and those are very, very necessary, God will give work to those to do that he sent to do what he, he himself can do. So Moses is a type in the work that God was, was working through him. And he was a type of Christ who would deliver the people, God's children, out of the bondage a bondage of Egypt under Pharaoh, who was a type of Satan. It is through the world. So they, they're out of Egypt. Now they're still passing through in the wilderness. The wilderness is the world system that we are in, in John 17, verse 16, but not of. Those words we talked about, in and of, are very necessary, and we're not to go over them uh, so quickly because they speak volumes. So we, we had to pass through the world like they were in the wilderness, passing through to their land of promise where they could dwell in the presence of God in security and safety. For us, all the promises of God, and that's what the land spoke of them, the promises, the unconditional promises that only God himself could fulfill for them. Through, but for us, we have all the promises in 2 Corinthians 1.20, Christ. He, he is what? All the promises in him are what? They're yea and not nay. And that's so important, especially today. And we'll get into it. I think tomorrow, what we want to talk about is, the, is, is our yea, letting our yea be yea and our nay be nay. Letting our yes be yes and our no be no is defined through the scriptures. So they're passing through the wilderness. It is the history of the wilderness, and listen, as a place of what? Trial. For us in 1 Peter 1.7, the trial of our faith is much more precious than gold that perishes. So there's a trial. It's a place of trial. And it's the world, listen, as Christians, that we don't settle down in, we are passing through on our way to our land of promise in heaven where Christ is. So, what happens? The place of trial, the world, the wilderness that we're in, what does it do? What does the trial do? It always brings out in us what it also does and did in them. There's a proneness to what? To constant failure, and thank God we're not our failures, but that's the proneness 
not our sin in Romans 7, 17 and 20. It is no more I that do it, but that sin nature that's in us through the flesh, but we're not of in Romans 8, 9. So there's a constant proneness to failure and a continual readiness to stray, to get away from God. I think some of that was voiced uh, this morning, right? But what is it? What, what was it that God brought them through with? It is the grace of God that had them. And that grace that, he, that had them, that had them completely, did not desert them and didn't fail them because its purposes had to do with God himself for them, just like us. And we do those things. But God sought to bring them into their land. And you know what? They were, they were brought in it. God always, in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, always causes us to triumph. Always. And we heard that voice today, too. He, not sometimes, but he always causes us to triumph. Because we are more than conquerors in Christ, in Romans 8, verse 37. Do you remember in Ezekiel 37, when Israel would come into their land and they would, you ever feel like a dry bone? Come on, do you ever have those days just feel like a dry bone? And will you ever experience life again? Well, did those old bones in Ezekiel 37, did they begin to have life? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And of course, that's a picture of Israel and what, the, what will happen to them during the millennial reign. But anyways, what we can see here and we've even seen part of this history. We have seen part of it. A partial, a partial, partial, and I don't even know if I could call it a partial fulfillment of what has happened to Israel because we know that on May 17th, on 1948, during the Harry Truman administration as president, there was a star that was ran up to Israel. They were kicked out of country after country. They were, because obviously as a people, uh, when he came unto his own, and this is our choice, when he comes unto us, what's our choice? To receive or reject him. <clears throat> reject him. And of course, what is disobedience? It's rejecting him. And what is obedience? It's receiving him. I asked God, when God was dealing with me personally in my life and in a very intense way, and at that point, just bringing me to, to a place of just, just openness. And, and I just said to him, and I believe I said it to him in tears, I said, is, he, is there any love in me that returns to you? I mean, all your love for me, is there any in me? And I meditated on that. My heart was like that for, for know, a few days, I guess. Just, is there any return of your love, God? I mean, you think on us. You never, in Job 36, verse 7, you never remove your eye from the righteous. Ever, ever. And, and that's just his loving eye and, and uh, his loving hand. And everything that he does is through grace and unconditional love. And I asked him that. And for a while, I thought about that. And then it dawned on me again. I love when dawn breaks over marble head. He said, your obedience 
is the return of my love. I went, okay. So key. So key. I went, oh, okay. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. But you know, there's failure in us. There is. And we're not our failure. Right? We've said before, failure is included in the plan of God. It teaches us. He uses it to teach us. There's not fellowship in it. But he does use it to teach us. But there's progress because of his grace, his unconditional love. And the fact that in, in Joshua 1.5, he said to Joshua, listen, Moses is dead in the first chapter, you know, and you're wondering what you're going to do now and how you're going to do this. And like I was with Moses, I, I'm going to tell you, I will not fail you nor forsake you, no matter what. I will not fail you nor forsake you. I will call you to go, and I will not fail you, and I won't, I won't do it, and I won't forsake you. Furthermore, I'll go with you. I will go with you. And that's what we allow him to do experientially in our obedience. So, but there's progress. Now, the wilderness path for God's people was on their way, as we said, to the promised land. And at the close of the book of Numbers, you know what you see? After everything they went through, all their experiences, look at all the experiences, and their ups, their downs, their enemies, and all the things that they went through, all their experiences, you know what? At the end of the book, guess where they were looking? They were looking from the plains of Moab, and of course, that's a type of the flesh, but they were looking right into the promised land. They were looking. I don't know about you, but experientially, I want to be like uh, Caleb and Joshua, because by the time you get to the 13th chapter, out of the first generation of, of uh, Israel being delivered from bondage, and there was at least a minimum of 2.4 million Jews that he delivered in one night. They were held in bondage for 400 years. They couldn't get out. And in one night, one night while they slept, God was preparing it. Do you ever have some bad dreams and, and, and sometimes these dreams or these thoughts and you're attacked and that can be your experience. Is this thing ever going to change? And God is already preparing a way. He's pulling back the, the sea of impossibility. He's pulling it back and making a way for them to walk. Not only by themselves, but with them. On, on dry land and causing them to escape their enemies. We don't have to escape any. They've already been dealt with. Okay, they've been dealt with. Everything about the world, the flesh and the devil, Christ has dealt with. He crucified the whole thing. He even crucified the world. He crucified me to the world and the world to me in Galatians 6, verse 14. But did you ever wake up that morning that you had those thoughts? And God, you, you went to meet him and you didn't have any strength in yourself and you saw his word. He just was right there. And we can have him anytime we want. He is waiting. Sometimes you and I think we're waiting for things. We do. We really think it's so long that we're waiting when in fact he does far more waiting for us than you and I would ever even imagine. Because in Isaiah 30 verse 18, you know what he's doing? He's waiting 
to be gracious. Just like he met Peter on the shore. Peter, Peter, as far as he was concerned, was over. In John 21, verse 3, he said, I'm going fishing. He said, I, I forsook him. In his greatest trial, when I forsook him, I failed him. It's over for me. I might as well go back to the old way. He was out fishing all night. And some are out fishing, trying to find things. Going back to the old, don't find anything. Nothing there anymore. Once you've tasted in Psalm 34, verse 8, you tasted that he's good, nothing else will ever taste the same. Ever. Never will. And then Jesus is on the shore preparing a meal for them while they're out all night getting their need not met until they heard his voice. Then they flew to him and they had a sweet fellowship and that's when he recommissioned Peter in John 21, 15 to 17 to feed his sheep. after he fed on him in that type there. But anyways, they were looking from the plains of Moab over into the promised land. And you know what? God, he's the same. You know, in Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday in eternity past. Today, eternity present. And future eternity, he's the same. You know why we can say that to us in time? Because he is our eternal life. In 1 John 5.11, he invites us, because of the life that we have, to look back and see him in his eternity. In a measure, of course, in John 1, verse 1. In this embrace, in John 1, verse 1, with God. Well, he's the same. He's the same strong God. He has the same strong holy hand, which carried them through it all. And that same hand is doing the same thing for us in Christ. You don't have a greater hand than that. It's doing it, doing for us, even in a far greater way, what he did for them. Because these are our types. Again, Matthew 15, verse 4, brings out those types that are written for us. So if you're having a bad day, just think. Your bad day is not who you are. And even if you look back, you can look back and see God's faithfulness. You can look in the hero hall of fame. And those weren't the heroes. Christ was the hero in that hall of fame. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, he's the hero who did great things in them. They, they, and I love one of the things, uh, one of the definitions it says there, and it's beautiful. Out of weakness, he made them strong. He made them strong. And it's okay to be weak because we are. That becomes the perfect receptacle for his strength to be manifested. Not just for us, but for others. Those are the types that we have. So we have this path, this path of progress right through the world. And you know whose steps we walk in? Because he walked before us in 1 Peter 2.21, Christ, his steps. The steps of a grace man, it says, really says good, but we know that's grace. In Psalm 37, verse 23, are ordained of the Lord. We walk in the steps that Christ has already walked. Did you know he won't have you go anywhere? He won't have me go anywhere that he hasn't already been. He knows the way. He knows the way. This is the way. Don't turn to the left. That same one that waits to be gracious in Isaiah 30, verse 18, is saying, look straight on. Don't turn to the left or turn to the right. 
But this is the way. In 3021 of Isaiah, walk in this. And who's the way? The truth and the life. In John 14, 6, but Christ himself. So he leads us. How does he lead us? He leads us by faith dependence. That's how he leads us. He leads us by faith dependence, not by our emotions, not by our thoughts. He leads us, how? By his, what? Word, which are his thoughts, through faith, faith dependence. There's the simplicity of dependence on him. We, and we can stray so quickly from that. The simplicity of dependence on him and how he provides and how he constantly intervenes by his gracious hand, his gracious loving hand, his loving kindness and tenderness and guidance for the needs of our circumstances. Come on. Has he come through since we've been here? He's faithful. And he said in Revelations 21, verse 5, write these words, and he wants them written in our heart because they're true and faithful. Write them. He's writing our history. Boy, what a day that will be when we meet him face to face. He's writing our history because our history is his story. It is. We're all a book. Yeah, it's already written. And it's more than and we're more than conquerors. On our weakest days, doesn't matter, doesn't change a thing. Doesn't change one single thing. And thank God he's no he's no respecter of anyone that's in Christ. He loves everyone exactly the same. He is no respecter of persons. There are no extra special ones with him. We're all extra special in Christ because that's the life and the value that we have. So he's teaching through his kindness, through his love, through his grace and meeting the needs of every one of our circumstances. Listen, even that which the failures of men produce around us. He's still working it right through. Right through. All the way through for each and every single one of us. He's doing it. And by those very things, even the things that, that happened to Joseph that his brothers did against evil was God using it for Joseph's good and even those that did the evil to him and his dad. In Genesis 50, verse 20, they, may have, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Even the failures of others, our own, and the failures of men that produce those things around us. And he's teaching us what is he teaching us? To depend on him for everything. Depend on him for every single circumstance as well as to depend on him for ourselves. As well as to depend on him for our loved ones. As well as to depend on him for our friends. Okay? I love it, God. Thank you. Yes. And what is he doing? He's keeping us. You know what the greatest position of truth is? The greatest position of truth is continual dependence. I'm going to say it again because that is so true. The greatest position of truth is continual dependence upon him who is truth. 
I get to function in grace. And when I do, when I can't do anything for myself, he comes in with his grace. And when I receive it, I have the truth that maybe I didn't even know and I couldn't know without him. And he does it because he's faithful. What? Continual dependence that you and I in our weakness learn. And that's what we're doing. We're learning the fullness of his resources and the faithfulness the faithfulness and depth of his love for us. That's what he's doing. He has a watchful care over us. We said in the beginning in Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous any more than he would ever remove his eye from his son and we're in him. God always, listen to this one, and I remember writing this down in in this Bible, Years ago, I want to say, I don't know, probably close to four decades ago, God always promotes those who wait for him. That speaks of trust. Waiting speaks of trust. And that speaks of a proper worship. God always promotes those who wait for him. So trust him and love him. Trust him and obey Trust him and get to know him while you wait for him. That's right. Get to know him. Get to know him. Cherish his presence while you wait for him. Cherish his presence. Because with God's promotions comes his presence. And I wrote this down too. And in his presence gives us the power that we deeply need in our weakness. That's what his presence does. And in his presence, he promotes us above. He doesn't take us out of circumstances like we've shared so many times, like false philosophy does, to change and take you out of your circumstances. Those things become the, the great manifestation of not only his faithfulness, but an intimacy that he desires with us that will go right into an eternity of fellowship in this little thing called time. So what? And I wrote this down too a long time ago. Don't kick against God's plan. Don't. Don't. You know, Saul was doing that. And what he was doing was he was kicking against Christ because that's where our, that's where our plan is settled. That's where God settled all our plans in Christ. And, and Saul was kicking till he met him. Till he met him. So don't kick against God's plan and don't kick against God's ways by sight, by bad thoughts and bad emotions. Because what happens? There's going to be a, a place where there's, the plan is going to come un, unexpectedly and that's going to find us out where we are. The unexpected part of the plan. I bet you, you know, like with me, when I first came back here, I thought there was, it was going to be a certain way. And boy, oh boy, he used it to show me where I was at. And I bet you the same is for everybody here. That's right. He's no respecter of persons. No. But you know what? Like he did for Joseph, God prepared him in the dungeon. He did. That's where he prepared him, in the dungeon so that he could reign as a king. That's what he did. David was a little shepherd boy. 
And that's where God was training him up. Time when, when there was so much time to be alone. So many, so many times, I bet you, he deeply desired fellowship. And yet, how deeply Christ was teaching him and bringing him to the place where he could have that fellowship and reign as a king, reign supreme. Well, this is what we're to keep on learning. His, the faithfulness of his love, his watchful care keeps us leaning on him. That's right. That's what the circumstances do. It causes us, it causes us to lean on him. And that's faith. To lean with your whole ability. I've said, remember teaching this years ago, years and years ago. Every single person here in the natural realm is, is functioning in faith and you're not even aware of it. Because I'll tell you what each and every person did that's sitting here. You transferred the weight, the responsibility of your weight on the object that you're sitting and you're not even thinking about it. <laughs> you know why? Because that's what faith does. It rests. It rests. And, uh, and our rest has to do with his timing and his provision. It does. And that's where our rest is. It's in his presence, you know. And that's where his timing and presence is located. His rest, his timing, and his provision are located in his presence. And do we miss it? Do we cause him to delay? At times, yes. Even that is for our good. Even that is for our good. So he's teaching us that in all circumstances, men, men, naturally, in all circumstances, shrink from the sense of dependence. In our natural, we don't want it. Every one of us have that in us. Now, it's in us through the flesh in Romans 8, 9, but we're not of it, but we can certainly function in it, right? That sense of dependence, dependence upon God, you know why? Because it requires faith. It requires us trusting God, not by sight, not causing him to prove himself to us. That's, that's kind of scary. Who are we to cause God to, to say, you prove yourself to me before I will trust you? Whew, God forbid. Well, you know what happens? People are willing to trust upon men present because they can see him, but not upon God to their eyes absent. Is it better to trust on a God absent? You know, 1 Peter 1.8 says, In whom, whom having not seen you love. What does that mean to him? Whom having not seen you trust him, you obey and return his love. What must that mean to him? I'll tell you, we'll have all eternity individually to be able to fellowship with him in a measure that only we can as individuals. Well, this is the thing that we need to learn, and it's the great lesson. You know, it's the great lesson of this Christian dispensation. The privilege that we have to be Christians out of all people groups in the Bible. I don't know. It's just, it's just unbelievable. It really and truly is. But that you know what? The fact of the matter is, is the character of it is sanctity. There's a holiness in it. Our character. That's to be our character. 
1 John 1, 7, walk in the light as he is in the light. Again, we've taught this and we need to constantly learn that. As he is in the light, walk as he is in the light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. That's not speaking about our conduct. That's speaking about the character that we are. And we should always walk in it by obedience. But it's also true of righteousness in, in, this, in Christians in this Christian dispensation that we're in. And is that ever true? Yeah. It is true. This is the truth. That our rest, his timing, and his provision our rest, is in his presence. Is that true? Is it always true? Well, is it true for us in every circumstance? Is it true for us in our individual life? As much as it is the absolute necessity of the church to actually trust him and depend upon him for every single thing and walk in obedience and return his love and have an intimate fellowship. Well, as we wrap it up this morning, that's the book of Numbers. It's the history of the Israelites. And it's a lesson of this. What's the lesson? The lessons of faith dependence. You know, and the Holy Spirit said it, uh, said it through Paul about the lesson of faith. It was in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. And what a beautiful portion that is. I'll just read that quickly. And uh, we're almost wrapping this up here. But let me read 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. It says this, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. What's our work? Just to depend on it for everything. Your work of faith. What will that bring to us? A labor of love. Yeah. A labor of love. And then what? Patience of hope. And hope there's guarantee, by the way. A patience of hope. Look, see what it says? Faith, love, and patience. What? Faith, love, patience, and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's all located. That's why we need to trust and obey him. Why? Because it's in the sight of God. And he acts as our father. And there is, a, there is a work of faith also that the Bible speaks about, and that's in 2 Thessalonians 1.11. But as we wrap this up, what are we learning again? This is what we're learning, this lesson of faith. We got out of Egypt. Now listen to this. We got out of Egypt. He took us out of the world, just like he took them, right? Did. Not knowing how. They didn't know how. And he didn't tell them either. They didn't know when. 400 years. <laughs> they didn't know when or where they were going. They couldn't forecast the future. They could Listen, what makes us think we could do even anything about our present? And to not trust him for the present? Yeah. Certainly will not prepare us for trust in the future. Yeah. Yeah. We certainly can trust what he did about our past. Yeah. Or we can miss him and live in the past through the flesh, right? And live like we're still in Egypt when we're in heavenly places already in opposition in Ephesians 2.6. Well, that's what we're learning. That's what they were learning. Constant learning. The wilderness, constant learning. They left Egypt. Again, they didn't know when, where, 
how they were going, only that they were leaving Egypt. Boy, we need to leave those things, don't we? You know, I remember I, sh- I shared th- this, I do remember. This was in 1977. It was one of the first <laughs> messages that I, as a 25-year-old, <laughs> were teaching to people, like 30 of them, that were 55 and older. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, don't tell me I wasn't thinking, what am I doing? (laughs) It took one night for God to take Israel out of Egypt. It takes him a lifetime, and it took him a lifetime to take Egypt out of Israel. And one night he delivered us. Crucified the old, Romans 6, 6. Paid for all our sins, every single one of them. We don't even have a conscience of them anymore in Hebrews 10, 2 through 10. We're complete in him. Perfected forever in 10, 14. Done once for us in 10, 10 of Hebrews. And it takes him a lifetime of learning and growing to take the world, Egypt, out of us. It does. But he's faithful. He's faithful. And thank God that whether our journey is long or short, but thankful for the grace and the energy of growth that comes from that grace. Even in the midst of self-earned weariness, and oh boy, we earn that, don't we? A self-earned weariness of unbelief, but he still doesn't forsake us, and he's leading us through the wilderness to have a face-to-face meeting with him in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. and, And at times, are there green spots Green little pastures, pastures of tender grass in Psalm 23 too, yes. Are there rivers in that wilderness at times in Isaiah 35, 1 through 6? Are there rivers there at times for us to stop and drink in Song of Solomon 2, verse 1? Yes. From our own souls, because of his faithfulness, come these rivers that we can drink from, the rivers of the word that that flow from him. And we can be fed, just like they were, from the rock, the immovable rock that never fails. His love never fails. He's our rock. Christ is our rock. He never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, he never, ever, ever fails. And at the commandment of the Lord, through his word, we journey. We move. And at his commandment, we rest for a while. And that's what the word is teaching us while we're in the wilderness. It's time to rest. Now it's time to go forward in this area. It's time to rest. I need to fill you up. I need to do this. I need to give you strength and courage and grace. Now it's time to go forward. Right? I need to feed you like little kids so you can grow up. Grow up in him in Ephesians 4 and verse 15. And we may rest a while, but one thing we can find daily, like they did in Exodus, the 16th chapter, you see it. Daily, they had manna daily surround their camp. I tell you, God's given us the word here. Every single day, he gives us, he gives all of us the word, all of us, and we can all depend on him. Anytime we want. We can take as much as we want. Look at, the, look at the type in Exodus, the 16th chapter. We can take as much as we want or as little as we want, but he surrounds our camp 
with manna, with his son, everything he's done, who he is, and what he's accomplished in his deep love for us. Manna daily surrounds our camp and we're surely fed every single morning, early, (laughs) early dawn. We need to give him the bloom of the day and not put him off with faded leaves, not faded flowers. Don't wait. But we're still in the wilderness like they were in entire dependence upon God, learning to enjoy. Oh, we need to learn that. We need to learn. There's nothing in the natural that would ever desire to learn to enjoy him. But we need to learn to enjoy, enjoy his presence in the well-taught lesson of where that enjoyment really comes from. And that joy in Nehemiah 8.10 is our strength. In the midst of weakness, he gives us this joy. And the losing the sense of that, that very sense was the mark of the guilt that happened to Israel while they were even in the promised land. They would always said, you know, we're like, and, and it's in uh, Deuteronomy 25, verse 6, but he told them, remember, and read Deuteronomy 25, 1 to 6, and what he did, and all through there, how he led them through, and he was so faithful, even in the midst of all their murmuring and complaining, he just led them straight through. And he said, you are to say, I was a Syrian ready to perish. But that was their constant confession in faith. But he always came through for them. And when they brought the first fruits of that good land, that land that was so beautiful, and that's ours and the type of Christ, is a beautiful thing. Well, we're going to close. But this, this can be, but it doesn't have to be, our continual failing in our worship and service as his church. Failing in the sense of entire dependence. That's where we fail. That's where we struggle. That's where I fail. That's where I struggle. But thank God it's not who we are. He never removes his eye from the righteous. That's who we are. And we have his rest. And we have all of that. But you know what? There's nothing, there is nothing so hard to the human heart as constant dependence. Nothing so hard. But when faith fails, we constantly find out where we are. And he's not condemning us by pointing out where we are. And we've said this before. It's God, the Holy Spirit, is the only one who can show us what we're like without Christ, without condemning us, and immediately have the provision and reality of who we are in Christ in absolute dependence. Nothing, nothing is so foolish as self-dependence. Nothing is so foolish is self-dependence, self-thoughts, self-emotions. Nothing is so foolish as that. It's either the wilderness, the world, or God. It's either the world's thought or God's thought. It is God or the wilderness, and thank God that we have him. And then finally, wrote this down a long time ago on one of my little things that some guy, forget his name, bought me this calendar thing that's on my desk that I don't use as a calendar, but I write all over it and cut little things out. Nothing 
replaces obedience. Because nothing can replace his love for us. Nothing replaces God. And nothing replaces trusting him. Amen? Amen. Well, Father, thank you for your word today. And thank you for your faithfulness to us. We just are so thankful for that. Thankful for who you are. Thank you, thankful for what you've done. And thank you that we, as so many testimonies were given here this morning, and a testimony, you were each, each person in a measure was so beautiful this morning because they were eyewitnesses. That's what a testimony. You give a testimony in a court, you had to be an eyewitness. You had to have substance. And thank you, Lord, for each and every one of us. Thank you for each and every one here, Father, and those that are listening and those that will hear. Thank you, Lord. We, have, we do have this treasure. Yes, it's in a fragile clay jar, but, oh, God, cause us to not lean on the fragile clay jar, but the treasure that's within. In Jesus' name, amen.